Talks and Be Frank show. We have a great episode for you this week. We've got Eli Betker joining the show to talk about Heat Check Sin Season 2. He is the guy that put it all together. We've been talking about on our show for almost two months now, so it's great to get some insight from him ahead of Season 2. So we'll have that later for you. And I have some thoughts about what's going on in, in season two that we'll, uh, we'll get to after that. But It's early. We've already got thoughts. There, oh, my God. Capital T thoughts. Let me tell you. Um, but we're going to start with football. Um, pay no attention to the doom and gloom going on in the world. Uh, Major League Baseball looking like it's going to be not making it through the season for a multitude of reasons. But the Marlins are idiots, is not helping. Um, yeah, so we're just going to pretend like football is going to happen. And to kind of kick off the season preview, we're going to go through our top tens um, for the upcoming season on this show and the next show. So obviously, if you do the math, we will be doing 10 through 6 on this show. Um, in the past, we have been fairly aligned but i have uh i've not talked to b frank at all before this so it's uh that's that's not a guarantee this is probably the least you and i have coordinated before like a uh preview type show and i'm very intrigued to see where you're at because i'm definitely taking some leaps with some of these teams uh, one of these teams and i think i i really knocked one down a couple pegs with where i put them but That'll show them. For, yeah, for the most part, though. I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm interested to see. I will, I will get out ahead of it. I did not have Indiana in the top ten. Try I to- was hoping you would, <laughs> just can, because. Once we, once we get to conference previews, I will have plenty of, plenty of words and thoughts on the Hoosiers, but this is, uh, this is not the forum. I would really have to be uh, – sipping the Kool-Aid for that to happen and well that's just not realistic so I'll, I'll wait till till later in the season to start talking that way um, but do you want to get us kicked off with your number 10? Yes let's do it it is a team that has garnered a lot of attention this offseason a lot of controversy coming from the head coach it is none other than the Oklahoma State's Oklahoma State Cowboys the Pokes uh, I love Spencer Sanders. Chuba Hubbard is back. Tylen Wallace is back. Those two alone are all Americans. Hubbard is a legit Heisman candidate at running back, especially against Big 12 defenses. And if he only plays Big 12 defenses this year, he could potentially rush for 2,000 yards. Uh, the offense returns a decent chunk. I think it's three of their five starters on the offensive line. They've got their two top receivers back. The playmakers are there. It is whether Spencer Sanders can take the next step. I liked what I saw from him last year. Wasn't the most consistent as we, you know, as is the case with most freshmen, but a whole nother year, great weapons around him. You have to love that. Defensively, they returned 10 starters. Yeah, it's a big 12 defense, but that continuity is huge. Uh, I expect to see mid 20s points per game presumably from this defense, which would be a huge improvement and a pretty big step up for a Big 12 defense. I love Oklahoma State. I think 
they could win the Big 12. And if there is a playoff, I think they could contend for the playoff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be another Gundy-esque team. And, and what you said about the defense is so appropriately Big 12 that that's like a good mark. Uh, but it's kind of one of those things in college football where you have that much returning experience, then you're kind of expected to take a step forward. And mm-hmm. offensively, you said that Chuba Hubbard – as a Heisman candidate, as a running back, which has become a bit of a rarity in college football, um, which is, I mean, would have been shocking to tell somebody even a decade ago um, or less. But yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be as it always is. Can they get over the hump in the Big Twelve and you know, namely Oklahoma? Um, it's it's been a couple of disappointing seasons in a row, and that's a testament to what Gundy has built at Oklahoma State. Um, but now. You've got you've got some experience for Sanders. It's uh, it's going to be go time for sure. I did I did not have Oklahoma State in my top ten, but I I don't I don't hate the the pick. This is already off to a hot start. No no agreement once. Let's see, let's see how I mean, we continue. We know, we know the top fives are going to be very similar. So yes. Let's enjoy this while we can. This was our um, chance. So going going with a homer pick. At ten, got Notre Dame. Um, I to be to be completely honest, the gap between Notre Dame and the rest of the top ten in my eyes is pretty significant right now. Um, Interesting. It's I, there is there's a bigger gap between ten and nine than any other position in my mind. Um, it's it's going to be an intriguing year. Ian Book is obviously going to be asked to make a ton of plays because it's him. It's the entire offensive line returning, which is a great thing, um, but basically no returning talent at the skill positions. Um, so that, that's going to be extremely challenging without guys like Chase Claypool, um, Chris Finke, people of that nature. Um, but he's going to have a ton of time to throw. And for, for Tommy Reese coming into his first year, having a veteran quarterback, you don't have to worry about running for his life. That's going to really ease him into the job full-time, I think, um, give him that, that sense of comfort. Um, I mean, defensively, they're losing a lot as well, especially in the secondary, but I really like Kyle Hamilton um, after a strong freshman season. Um, Going to be asked to do a lot more um, free safety position as a sophomore, um, Braden Lindsay also hopping back to offense really quick should, should make an impact at wide receiver and probably as a returner as well. Um, but it, it's kind of going to be a question mark to see who takes up, um, a lot of the, the offensive touches, but it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of question marks up and down the roster for Notre Dame, but at this point you, you have to kind of trust what, Brian Kelly is doing and the the buy-in is there um Ian Book is good enough to to will most rosters in the country into a ranked position what he has around him in Notre Dame is is good enough in my mind to to be in the top 10 the problem is as I know you know because you you also got Phil Steele um Notre Dame's only outperformed their preseason ranking once since 97. So. Kiss of death. The, 
They, uh, I believe the last time they were preseason 10 was the debacle against Texas. I think you're right. That yeah. game was just and miserable. Tess was losing his mind about Texas being back, and they were unfortunately, not. neither of them were that year. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, like, it's, there's still a lot of question marks with what Notre Dame season is actually going to look like. Um, I think it'd be very intriguing if they just joined the ACC for a year. Yeah. Um, it would be really awesome if they somehow win the ACC and then, you know, say, fuck it, go back to being independent. That would be hilarious. But, yeah. Hang the banner. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing. It's interesting that you said you think the gap is so big because I actually have Notre Dame at number nine. I, I figured based on your reaction. I And I was going to go higher, actually. I was going to – I debated putting them as high as seven, and I decided that I can't say they're better than a couple of these other teams right now. Same. Ian Book is enough for me in my eyes with a returning offensive line. Every, I mean, they seemingly lose skill position players every year um, that were, you know, tops, le- or rushing leaders, whatever it may be. Jafar Armstrong's back. That's at least a decent piece that has played before. You're al- they're always young at wide receiver until, you know, three years down the line, and then it's just next guy up, seemingly. They always produce good tight ends, so there's going to be some talent coming in there. The, the, the key, though, is that offensive line. And this, is, this seems like the year where Notre Dame starts to run the ball and play the clock a little more. Defense, absolutely, huge question mark. Basically, the entire secondary is gone. Um, they do return, what is it, two top, two top tacklers from last season, but that's about it. And it's, it's all up to the pass rush at this point because I think if you're playing Notre Dame, you're going to air it out because you have no idea, and they have no idea what they have in the secondary right now. So they've got to see that. Ian Book, Far Armstrong, and a returning offensive line are good enough for me to put Notre Dame in the top 10 at number nine. If they need to score, I think they can do it. And it, it all rests on Ian Book. Given the choice, I would definitely prefer having to replace all my skill position players and having an offensive line intact than vice yeah. versa. Um, that's, Absolutely. Yeah, that's nothing to take lightly for sure. Um, let's see. So that's your number nine. So my number nine is, uh, well, we – we held off as long as we could talking about the SEC. So I'm going to go down there. Uh, I've got Florida at nine. Okay. Um, returning the the top returning passer in the SEC and Kyle Trask. And you have to think Dan Mullen is going to just go even more pass heavy this season. Um, obviously, no, no LaMichael Pirine. Um, It'll, it'll kind of be running back by committee this year. Um, Miami transfer Lorenzo Lingard is, is going to get a lot of touches there, presumably. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Trask linking up with one of the best tight ends in the country and Kyle Pitts um, is, is going to be a connection to watch, rivaled probably only by um, Sean Clifford to, to Pat Fryermuth at Penn State, who we may talk about later this week or next. Um, but the the defense was phenomenal last year. There's a lot to replace. Um, Brent Cox Jr. coming over from Georgia should be the next great pass rusher. 
for the Gators. Um, they've got a, a very good secondary with Wilson and Elam, both all ACC caliber corners. Um, it's, it's not going to be easy in the SEC. It never is. But I, I like Florida to really challenge um, Georgia in the SEC East this year. I like the Gators a lot. Kyle Trask is sensational. I mean, just to think that if he doesn't get hurt two years ago, we probably don't hear from Felipe Franks ever, or at least until Trask is gone or he transfers like he already did. But Trask is great. They do lose Van Jefferson as well, which is a, a definitely a hit at wide receiver. There's enough there, and they always seem to be restocking defensively. I mean, I'd say that's the case for most of the top half of the SEC is that it seems year in and year out, it's like, oh, man, how are they going to replace, you know, four guys, five guys, five NFL draft picks on the defense? Well, it's the SEC. They've just got them by the truckload. Uh, Six returning starters from a team that had 19 different guys starting a game last year because of injuries, and they only allowed 15 and a half points a game. I think the defense is going to be even better than last year. I will go out and say they will let up less than two touchdowns a game, um, maybe even close to 10 points per game because I think they're just going to be that good. It's really up to what Trask can do offensively. Like you said, Kyle Pitts is back. He probably the top tight end of the country, one of the top tight ends for sure. Um, it's what do they have at receiver is the question. Yeah, and it's it's not going to be your older brother's Florida Gators, which I think is the best reason for, for optimism amongst the fan base. The defense has been great for, you know, the, the last couple coaches. Like, it was, it was great under Muschamp is generally solid under McIlwain, um, generally um, more conservative guys, but you're not going to see the pretty putrid quarterback play, fairly conservative play calling, give the ball to Mike Gillisley or whoever 40 times a game. They're going right. to be it out, and that'll be, uh, that'll be a lot more fun to watch than the alternative, certainly. Yeah, thank God. I mean, it looked like – I don't even know if I could go this far, but it looked like Franks was picking up his play a little bit last year, but even so, he still was of that mold it's, of coaches of yesteryear. It's a dangerous game because it's such a low bar, and that's how you get right. sucked into thinking, and LSU was this way for years and years. That's how you get sucked into thinking Danny Etling is a good quarterback because you've only seen dog shit your entire fandom, so something that has a couple flashes or like can complete a 40 yard pass, you're going to anoint that guy. Um, Florida with fellow former Purdue backup quarterback, Austin Appleby, just a wild time in the SEC when, when those guys were going at it. I did not know what to believe, but that was kind of the same way for a little bit. Um, and Franks has a, an absolute cannon for an arm. See, so you, you fall in love with that, but Obviously, over the course of the football game, there's, there's not too much there. Um, Trask is a, a much more complete guy, as he showed last year. Um, and I think another year with Dan Mullen, who is such a brilliant offensive mind, I think it's, it's going to be a, a pretty good year in Gainesville. 
I mean, his numbers were just insane. 237 for 354, which is 67% completion percentage, almost 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Man. It's good. That's that's pretty solid. I'd take that. Yeah. Uh, My number eight team, I am also in the SEC. I'm going Texas A&M. Ooh. Kellen Mond is back. Jimbo is this is this is the year that the boosters have been looking forward to. Jimbo has had a couple seasons to to stake his claim, to plant his flag, to bring in his guys. They've got Kellen Mond, Isaiah Spiller is back. Uh, they return eight total starters, four offensive linemen. They look good. They bring in a top freshman, Devin Demas who is supposed to be a stud at receiver. I think he was the second-rated receiver in the country. Can Kellen Mond take the step, be more consistent? Believe it or not, he threw the ball 419 times last year. I I just – actually, I guess this should be the stat that I bring up. He completed 61% of his passes. I don't don't know what to think of that, but – it is better than I had expected. He almost he ran for 729 yards. He need they need to put him in situations where he can make plays with his armor's leg. Run pass options are going to be the bread and butter this year. They've got Spiller, who is a legitimate RB one. Utilize him, just utilize him. That's all I can say. Nine guys back defensively, including their top four tacklers. The defense is going to be very good probably challenging Florida as uh, one of the best Florida, Alabama, LSU is one of the best in the SEC. So I like the, the Aggies this year. It's put up or shut up time almost for Jimbo. I know they're not going to do anything to him after this long, but this feels like the season they've been building up to. They go into, I believe the top 25 or 30 in total experience this year after being a pretty young team for the past couple seasons. This is it. So I, I did not have A&M in my top 10. Um, and it's, right. not, it's not because of all the complaining I did last year about how they were still getting <laughs> votes and polls despite beating no one and Indiana was getting no national love. I can let bygones be bygones. But we are at a point now where I feel like this is a conversation we have every preseason. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. It's put up or shut up time for Jimbo um, because you know this. If if you can't win with Kellen Mond in this roster, like life's only going to get harder in the SEC. You are in the toughest division in all of college football, the SEC West. And I mean, it's only getting better. Yeah, this is the time to presumably try to take advantage of the one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in college football history, being decimated in LSU. Try to move up that way. Um, Alabama is formidable, but they're not, you know, necessarily as good as they've been under Nick Saban, which is a very high bar to meet every preseason. So take that with a grain of salt. But you've got Kellen Mons coming back for his senior year. The concern has to be offensive line again even though you're returning four starters it's a a group that's given up 69 nice sacks over the last two seasons 
Um, and, and I think that's kind of one of, one of the many reasons, probably surprising, that Kellen Mons did better than expected last year because so often he was running for his life um, mm-hmm. against teams that were more or less giving A&M the business. Um, the defense should be a, uh, a strength this year for sure. On top of all the returners, you've got Jalen Jones as a top-rated safety out of high school, but probably going to slot him in um, as a corner. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's the SEC. You're, you're going to have to prove it each and every week. I'm a little skeptical. Um, I think I, I don't have the, my full 25 in front of me, but I think I had A&M about 13th or 14th um, coming into the year. They're, they're definitely deserving of respect, um, don't get me wrong, but it's, uh, it's, it's a proving year for Jimbo for sure. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think it makes sense. I just, I don't know, we say it all the time, continuity is key, and I think, yeah, yeah like the offensive line has certainly struggled. They can't get worse. Like, they, they just can't, and if they do, they're not playing. Like, there, there's – Changes to be made. But you're right, that Clemson game, it felt like every time Kellen Mond dropped back, he was running for his life. Yeah, and that, that was tough. That was basically the impression that was seared in people's minds for a lot of the season. Like, that really set the tone. Yeah. Um, a and was coming off the, the high of the seven-overtime win over LSU the season before talking a big game um, that was the big game of their non-conference schedule and then really came out didn't do much of anything and, and didn't really do much of anything the rest of the year um, to truly you know portray themselves as that elite team that they wanted to be so they'll uh, they'll have mm-hmm. to do that from the get-go this year for sure yeah uh, number eight for me Another new conference. We're, we're going out west. Got Oregon. Heyo. No Justin Herbert, but the rest, the rest of the roster, especially the defense, I mean, not something you would normally expect to say about Oregon, is phenomenal. The defense was great last year. It's going to be even better this year, even though they lose um, Troy Dye, who was such – yeah, a good player for them. Um, but offensively, you've got your top three rushers coming back, including C.J. Verdell coming off back-to-back thousand-yard seasons. You've got three of your five um, leading receivers, three of your top five leading receivers from last year back. Um, Johnny Johnson the third is uh, leading returner. Micah Pittman is really expected to take a step forward. Um, you know, after returning from multiple injuries. And the defense, well, also, lest we forget, Joe Moorhead is the offensive coordinator now. So yes. I'm very excited to see what he can do. Um, mi- mixed bag at Mississippi State as a head coach, but he was at his best as an offensive coordinator at Penn State. And with all of the talent he'll have to work with, this offense should be a lot of fun. Um, Defensively, even without die, it's it is a an absolutely loaded group. Um, I mean, I, Thibodeau Oregon's is a run, stud. Oregon's going to run roughshod over 
the um the Pac-12 like they they're the best in the trenches on both sides of the ball um Kayvon Thibodeau is just an absolute freak at defensive ends and there I, I don't know if there's anyone in conference who can uh who can block him outside of potentially his own teammate and in practice so they are also returning last year's Outland Trophy winner Sewell um but it's it's an elite secondary as well, um, bringing just about everybody back there. Javon Holland, um, one of the big names, one of just three FBS players with four or more interceptions the last two seasons. So got a, a couple of ball hawks back there. Vernon McKinley, the third as well, had four last year, um, and it's it it was it was a little bit of a preview in the Pac-12 championship game last year when they absolutely railroaded Utah. Justin Herbert not being with the team anymore obviously makes a big difference, but I, I don't think it, it matters as much as it would, um, you know, most places when you lose a quarterback who goes in the top 10 in the NFL draft. Yes, I I love CJ Verdell. He's always he's been one of my favorite running backs in the country for a while now. Uh they obviously return a ton of talent at wide receiver. Offensive line is a little shaky. Quarterback play is a huge question mark this year. Like yes, they could probably get through with a decent quarterback play because Verdell is so good and because they have so much talent at receiver. Defense Kind of, I wouldn't say it's as much Big 12 these days because I think there have been a lot of good and respectable defenses coming out of the Pac-12 recently. We've had Washington for a few years. USC hasn't been that bad. Um, Stanford's put up a couple good defenses, but Thibodeau is the guy to watch on defense. I don't have them in my top 10. They would be probably at 11, just outside. They were, they were considered, but I decided to go OK State instead. Um, and it's because of offensive line and quarterback. That's, that's what it is. Like, yes, All-American, unanimous All-American, no less. And Outland winner was Sewell, 105. And, like, yes, he can, he can do a lot, but is it enough to make up for any uh, issues that the rest of the line might have? That's fine. I mean, you, you had two I don't have, so I'm, I'm due for one more after this. I have a hunch who it's going to be, um, probably the next team, but we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But in my mind, the, the lack of quarterback experience is something where Moorhead is really going to make his mark. Yeah. Um, I, I think having him versus, you know, replacement level offensive coordinator is going to make a massive difference. Uh, like, like we were talking about earlier, Tommy Rees coming in with Ian Book and all five starters returning on the offensive line, perfect situation for him. If he's coming into this situation, things probably aren't going to go as well. But you bring in a guy like Joe Moorhead, as, as offensively talented as they come, um, I, I think Oregon's just going to keep being Oregon. Moving to my number seven, it's a team we've already mentioned, but Florida. Trask. I mean, it's as simple as Trask. Defense is going to be great. Um, 
Grantham's still there as DC. He will have this as one of the top units, not just the SEC, but the country. And while it hurts to lose Pirine and Jefferson, I think Trasky is good enough to overcome that. So I put them at seven. Did did we talk at all last year about Mullen's wife? Yes, <laughs> we did. It's always good to remind the folks, though. Another consequence of coronavirus, though. Yeah. She will no longer be able to kiss all of the players. Or- Let's see how this affects them. That's, yeah, I, I don't know. Presumably that helped. I don't, I don't know. I am unsure. Um, was, yeah, was interesting. Um, all right, so we're, we're on to my number seven then. Yep. Um, going the defending national champions, LSU Tigers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is this the other one you didn't have? Yeah. Figured, okay. Um, and it's so, no disrespect. To, I'm, I'm going to get out way ahead of this. It's not disrespect to LSU. They lose so much, though. Yeah, there are a lot of good teams in college football. Yes, uh, I, I think that's that's what we can say. Um, but yes, they they lose a ton. Obviously, just a a record-setting NFL draft, really indicative of the talent that was in the program last year. But we are talking about an SEC West powerhouse. So returning starters doesn't necessarily mean as much as it would most places because these are all still four and five star guys. Obviously, Joe Burrow gone, huge loss. All eyes are going to be on Miles Brennan. It certainly helps that you get the Blendikoff winner, Jamar Chase back. You've got Terrence Marshall back as well. And you've got the Gatorade National Player of the Year, Eric Gilbert as your tight end so right off the bat that is going to make things a lot easier for Brennan the other concern of course is no Joe Brady and you've got um Scott Linehan coming in now joining Ensminger in the uh in that room I guess kind of splitting duties again um and I mean we'll we will really get a chance to see just how big Joe Brady's impact on Burrow was last year. I think you can pretty easily see it when you compare year one versus year two of Joe Burrow, but that's certainly a concern, I will concede. Um, the offensive line is, is definitely a question mark, and going up against some of the elite fronts, such as Bama, such as Auburn, that's going to be challenging. But the defense is still top tier. You're bringing in uh, a guy you may have may have heard of, Bo Pelini. I was waiting for the Bo Pelini mention again. I mean, you gotta love it. Um, but but you've got two of the best defensive backs in the country, and uh, Derek Stingley Jr., who C.D. Lamb's called the the best corner he's ever gone against, and Jacoby Stevens back at safety. Um, so. Not not a lot of, of returning starters, but you've got those guys. You've got Jabril Cox coming over from North Dakota State, All-American outside linebacker. Um, and that's more than enough in my mind to, to set the foundation. You still got Coach O, who is just walking electricity. So yes, they play in the SEC West. Um, I 
I like them a little more than the aforementioned A&M. I like them more than um, Auburn. But I, I can't see them doing what they did last year and taking down Bama. I definitely cannot see that. I, if, if I had to put LSU somewhere, I'd probably put them 13 or 14. There's Which, just to be fair, most years we can't see LSU beating Bama. Yes, last year was an aberration. It was more Crimson Tide fans everywhere. <laughs> uh, Clyde Edwards-Helaire gone. Joe Burrow obviously gone. Thaddeus Moss gone. Justin Jefferson gone. Yes, they do replace Thad Moss with Eric Gilbert, who is going to be very good, very very good. They lose. Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen, Grant Delpit, Kalevon Chason, Christian Fulton. I mean, Michael Divinity, Richard Lawrence. The list goes on and on. I just – it's a prove-it thing for me. Di- different from the Texas A&M prove-it of like, all right, we've been waiting. Let's see something. This is a – you are respected, but you need to prove that you still belong here because you've lost the entire reason you won the national title last year. My counterpoint to that would be we're not going to be shedding many tears over Alabama losing to a rugs at all. And yes, I know that this isn't a dynasty that LSU has had. It's, it's one national championship compared to what Nick Saban has um, accomplished. But I mean, by and large, these are similar situations and I'm not, Spoiler alert, I'm not ranking LSU as high as, as Bama in, in my top 10, if, if you couldn't already see that coming. But even so, I, I think there's, there's enough here to, you know, that a drop-off is inevitable, obviously, compared to what they pulled off last year. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, sticking within the, uh, the top 10 all year is uh, definitely within question. Show me, show me a big win. I don't, I, I don't know what that win would be because we genu- genuinely have no idea what the schedule is going to be. But show me a, a bit. And I'm at some point. At Florida, I mean, I'm looking at the current schedule. I don't know how it's actually going to play out, but I doubt they're going to play Texas. Um, Ole Miss, Nichols at Florida. At Florida would be the game. That's like that would be the prove it game for me. If you can win that one, LSU goes into my top five probably. Okay. We'll uh, we'll have our if if all goes right within you know college football world and teams at least get to finish their conference schedules. We will at least have our personal bowl in the season finale. LSU at A and M. Yes. I'm, I'm catching a lot of flack from a guy who is putting a lot of eggs in the A&M basket. I, no, no. A consistent letdown team. <laughs> the, the, fact, the ill effects of Kevin Sumlin are still very much there. Yeah, no kidding. And that is our That's, honorary one mention for show. I was going to say, we got away from that for a while. With, it's uh, college basketball season. You can only do it so much. Right. It's, it's really hard to work that into, into conversation unless we're talking about Sean Miller's club. And like, you know, also uh, in there. Fairly similar, too. I mean, to uh, yeah, I'd say they're kind of similar. Okay. 
One one is an FBI scandal, the other doesn't. But anyways, uh, num- number six, Penn State. I you knew it was coming. We 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 briefly yeah. spoken about the uh, the Nittany Lions before, and I think they were just mentioned actually. But they're going to contend obviously for the Big Ten title with Ohio State. Sean Clifford is back. Journey Brown is back. Jahan Dotson is back. Pat Fryermuth is back. I mean. They're, they're set four of the five offensive linemen return from a really good team, a really good offense last year. They do lose Hamler, and defensively they lose Gross Matos, but this was a young team last season. They've got a ton of talent coming back. Micah Parsons was their top tackler last season. And this is also a season it feels like Penn State has been building towards. Yes, you can say that two, year, two years ago they were in the title game again. No, three years ago, whichever, whatever it was, they were in the Big Ten title game. Should, should have done a little better research on that one. But that they were in the uh, Big Ten title game with Trace McSorley. You can say that that was kind of what they were building towards, but it feels like they were still laying foundation and Franklin hadn't quite gotten there yet. This feels like the season where – and Phil Steele kind of says it. He said, you know, he James Franklin takes over at a program on probation, and now they are a team that is legitimately two and almost three deep at every position where you don't necessarily worry about the talent drop-off. It is next guy up. So they are at that level at this point. Um, and this is kind of like the, the season that shows it because they did have a young defense last year. They returned a few guys. They're still going to be a bit young, but they've got the talent. So it's, it's time to see what Penn, Penn State can do. And Brandon Smith's a guy they really like um, at the other outside linebacker position opposite Parsons. Um, mm-hmm. to really shore up that group. I th- think this is the, the first one we had the same, right? Yeah. Ex- expect more of that next week, probably. Um, I'm, I'm sure we have the same top five, just potentially different orders. Maybe I'll just throw a curveball in there. Yeah. I don't know. Just Tennessee. Throw, throw A&M out again next week. <laughs> just to surprise people. Um, but, yeah. And Penn State here, too. It's tough because they are, in a lot of ways, like LSU. They are in – I'm biased, but I would say Big Ten East is comfortably the second toughest division in football after the SEC West. So this is the best Penn State team of the James Franklin era. But at the end of the day, you're still looking up at Ohio State. That is who you have to measure yourself against. And that's not even considering, you know, Michigan being a a challenger. Michigan State most years being a challenger. Um, Unlikely under Tom Mucker, let's say that. But yes. yeah, one of one of my favorite spoonerisms back in the Big Ten. Just one of, as you know, our our favorite coach. Can't wait for the Big Ten preview. But um, top hire in the conference. <laughs> just, just every every year, get a new job every year so we can keep doing it. Yep. Um, but yeah, the the offense is going to be electric once again. Um, Journey Brown is going to be the the next truly great running back had an excellent year last year i think he'll definitely eclipse a thousand yards this year um, and they've, they've just got a stable of backs back there um 
the the question mark for me outside of Dobson, there's not a lot of uh, you know proven receivers they can really rely on. That's something they'll kind of have to figure out on the fly, um, which I'm sure they will. But just looking at the roster right now, that's something that jumps out at me. Um, but yeah, it's this is uh, this is Franklin's best team. It's it's like it's like LSU most years. Like you can be one of the best teams in the country. You're still looking up at Alabama. They're doing the same thing with Ohio State. Um, that's that's the hurdle they have to clear um, to, you know, actually make it to the playoff. Mm-hmm. So we'll, I agree. I uh, say which we will about James Franklin. This is probably the best team that he's been building towards, and Clifford. I guess say what you will about Trace McSorley, but I think Clifford is the best quarterback he has had at Penn State and is going to be very good this upcoming season. Yeah, I will say a lot about James Franklin. Um, I will never shy away from that. But I think we all will. They were, they were fairly quick strike last year offensively. Um, he scored a touchdown from like every 15 offensive plays or something ridiculous like that. Um, should be – more of the same, and they, uh, yeah, they'll be they'll be pretty scary, especially if they can get Dotson some some help on the outside. It's good that uh, the non-conference may not happen as planned because they don't even have Pitt on the schedule this year, which is a damn shame. Had to make room for San Jose State, of course. Traditional rivals there. <laughs> you know what they say. All bets are off when San Jose State travels to Penn State. Yeah, they're, they're struggling with Michigan State, so I had to get some extra practice against some other Spartans. Yes. Good strategy there, James. Um, okay. So that's our, uh, that's our foray into the world of college football. We will go five through one next week, and then week after that we'll get started on our conference previews. We will do this as long as we can. Uh, we, we really want there to be a full college football season. I realize there, there may not be. I'm obligated to add that disclaimer. but Until, until it doesn't make sense, we're going yeah. to do this. Yes, yes. That's much, much more concisely said. <laughs> um, all right, so let's, uh, let's go to interview with Eli now. Um, he, was, he was awesome. Gave us a lot of insight and mm-hmm. really good. We we talk about the the heat check simulation a lot on this show. There's, I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of stuff to talk about for something that he just kind of threw together in college basketball all season when nothing was going on. Um, so it was, it was great talking to him. Really getting an appreciation for how much time and and effort he puts into this. So uh, without any further ado, here's Eli, and we will see you on the other side. We now welcome on the founder of HeatCheckCBB.com, the architect of the much-discussed HeatCheck Sim, it's Eli Butker. Eli, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. So we figured with uh, Season 2 just starting as we're going to release this, be the perfect time to, to have you on. Um, this has been 
very entertaining for a lot of us in a time where we desperately needed sports. Um, is that is that kind of the main motivation that that made you started in the first place? Just kind of trying to fill that void. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started off. So I guess I started off this website in I want to say it was late 2017 and had it going just momentarily for I think it just about a season and then it you know goes by the wayside as most blogs do and. Um, after I was finished with my internship at Sporting News in February, I really wanted to get this going again. And that's why I brought in some other writers on the site. And of course, like, as you guys know, and as all of college sports has changed over the last handful of months with COVID, I was just kind of thinking of any sort of avenues that I could bring people to the website because I've, I've since realized that starting off a college basketball website weeks before college basketball is entirely shut down, wasn't the best move. So it's, I'm just trying to kind of tap into my creative side and uh, embracing some sort of, you know, like actionable, fun thing related to college basketball because, you know, missing March Madness is enough for me to drive me crazy. So I can imagine the same could be said for a lot of other people. The sting of missing March Madness. I'm a Seton Hall alum and this was like the chance we had that we had to do something for the first time in like 20 years. I was in New York ready for the Big East tournament, and then we were going to head up to Albany because they would probably get uh, a four seed, something around there, and, and be playing a couple games close to home. And uh, it all gets shut down. So this this came at the perfect time where my my depression was slowly waning away from college basketball, but the interest in like the the fervor for it was still peaking. Yeah, and that's that's what I've been really surprised by because initially, and I. I've told many people this who have asked me this question. I honestly expected this would be me and like nine other friends who would just be doing this for a season and just like kind of poking fun at and whatnot. And then we had 352 people sign up in about 40 hours. It's like, well, I guess we all have that void for college basketball and, you know, people like yourself. And I can't help but think of Dayton and San Diego State fans and, and people like them who are just like just inching for this opportunity to uh, capitalize on that season. But like that's my main intention to start all this was just, I mean, we all want college basketball. It's a weird time for a lot of people. And just a lot of individuals going through tough stuff, like regardless if it's COVID or unemployment or anything, just what have you. And if it can take your mind off things for 10, 15 minutes a day, then my, that's, that's my number one accomplishment. So I'm pleased with that. I was going to say the response has to be kind of exceeding even your most optimistic um, expectations because it's, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. You've got, you know, the Discord, which has been popping. You've got fake Joe Lunardi, who's really been putting in some work. Uh, fake John Rothstein, fake Ken Palm. Um, everything, it's, it's like a, a whole virtual world at this point. Um, and it's, it's certainly helped to, I think, create a – like little little college basketball community on the internet. And I mean, it's, for us at least, it's given us far too much time of entertainment to, to still find things to, uh, to bitch and moan about in, in the world of college basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's been kind of the whole point of this for me. It was just to create some fun distraction for people, but I wasn't even expecting anything close to this. And I still remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I got the first follow from one of those team accounts. Like, I don't know if it was Holy Cross or Lafayette. Mm -hmm. And I see like heat check Lafayette has followed me. I was like, Oh my goodness. And then I see like heat check Ken Palmer, heat check Lenari. I was like, all right, like maybe we have something here. And then someone asked me if there was going to be a wait list for season one. And I was thinking like, 
man, this isn't even, this isn't even close to what I was expecting. So it's, it's been fun. And then the, uh, beyond just the simulation itself, having these conversations with people like yourself, meeting lots of new people who have the same interests as me. And once this, you know, once college basketball returns and we start talking about actual college basketball again, to have these people that I can come and talk to you guys about college basketball, I have met new people. I think that's, what's been really cool. Just meeting new people who have the same interests and being able to talk about the sport that is pretty niche. But when you have people that are this interested, you know, in the middle of July, I, I think that that really says a lot about, about this community. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Definitely something that, that cannot be stated enough is that point, because I feel like college basketball college sports in general are very echo chamber fan base where like no one goes over to anyone else's fan base unless you're trying to talk shit or something and this has almost brought together all sorts of fans where you can just like openly discuss what's going on um but getting to the the sim a little bit more like how did this even start like how long ago did it start is this like just recent is this a long time ago where where does this even begin you know i guess there are a lot of answers to that question i i think the easiest way when people have asked me this the easiest way to explain it is the way that i began my interest in i guess mainly college basketball but sports in general was you know i started off with the early nba live games with madden games with things like that and that Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of silly, but you actually can learn a lot about the sport and how it functions just by doing, you know, the dynasty modes and franchise modes and things like that. And so what I would do, because that's kind of the, the, the mode I've embraced as, as my college basketball writing career has continued, I guess, is I'm kind of the, the nerd guy, the one that wants to look at the numbers and things like that. So what I would do is I would go to like a Walgreens or a CVS and buy just the spiral notebooks that you would have in your classes. And I would just fill it up with all sorts of fictitious names and stats and rosters and schedules. And I mean, it, it, it was absurd guys. It was just like the detail that I would put into this stuff. And that translated up into the point where I started writing about actual college basketball because I was already following it to begin with. So I had always kind of had the mindset of being able to create something like this. So the actual, creation part of the sim i think wasn't that challenging obviously there are there are details and making sure there aren't just obvious workarounds or or cheats i guess that you can do that took some ironing out but the bulk of the time that i've spent on this is i mean the part that frustrates me most which is the functionality like how do i make it best for you when you're logging on and seeing an email um how does it look when i'm receiving the info and the the biggest question is how can I, I guess, spend the least time doing it on my end while still making it the most fun for you guys on your end? Like that's a right. big balance for me there. So the game itself, I mean, I think it took an afternoon or maybe two afternoons to make like the model of the game, but bringing in Google Forms, bringing in spreadsheets, all that stuff, that's where the bulk of the time came. But I think I originally got the idea to do this – let's see we started June 1st so I want to say it was like early mid-March was when I decided I wanted to do something like that I guess it might have been a bit earlier than that but but that was the bulk of my time just figuring out the functionality and how it would actually uh, come to life I guess 
that's something I was curious about because it's a, I mean, I can only imagine the amount of data that you're dealing with coming in. How, how much of a time commitment is it for you? Like, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a pretty significant time commitment and, and that's what I've been focused on trying to, again, cut down while still making it fun for you guys. And I mean, it's, I've already seen it come across a lot easier just as we head into season two, because I already have the the schedule template made. I already know how like the development process will work, um, have the recruiting sheets updated because that's a, in itself, that's a, 800 by 352 spreadsheet with a formula for every single cell that determines a, a recruit's interest in a particular school. So that in itself took multiple days to create. And now that I already have that made, I can just plug it in. And so that makes it a lot easier, but I mean, it's still hours long commitment on a consistent basis. And uh, every time I, I have to, you know, schedule an email form to you guys, which I've, I've uh, made that process easier on myself. Uh, season one, I had 32 emails that I had to send out. Now I was able to condense it into one email. And so that's the, that's the kind of thing that I've been focusing on is, again, just cutting down my time on my end so I have more availability to work on, you know, articles on the site and different things and make improvements. But I, I don't want that to sacrifice what you guys have on your end because I still want it to be fun and still, you know, as in-depth as I could make it. Yeah, it's just, it's all crazy how it just quickly came about and then just took took on a life of its own. I guess, this is a terrible question, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. What is like the, the most unexpected thing that has come of this? Like, obviously you were growing your site and growing your, your writing base. And the, I mean, it couldn't have coincided even better. I'm sure this was your plan to begin with. And, you know, COVID either accelerated that or just kind of like made the two merge even quicker. But like these two have, have happened very quickly uh, together. And I know like I have Twitter notifications on for the, the heat check Twitter account, just in mm -hmm. case anything comes out. And then obviously you guys are still writing. So I read basically everything that's out there that you guys put out. So it's like what, what I guess has been the most unexpected positive that you've seen from all of this. Well, I think almost everything has been an unexpected positive because, I, again, I entered this with very little expectations and I thought right. this was just going to be me and a few others. I think the most surprising and once I started to, once I started to realize that we kind of had something here when everyone was joining and you have people signing up for like Holy Cross or something, uh, then I started to realize that this could really be an avenue to bring more attention to the website. And now we start to see the tabs on the website where we have like the PDFs and the downloads. Those sometimes are the most read articles or, or posts of the day on our site, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And what I've tried to do um, now, uh, especially recently, is try to write some content about the game, just kind of bring it to life a little bit and tying that back into our Substack account to you kind of pack, package it all together so people who are interested in the sim can read extra information about that. People who want to still read articles, they can read that uh, on the Substack account. And, and there are some people who check both of those boxes and it's a good deal for both of them. So I think that's been, that's been kind of the unexpected positive response is that, I mean, they're honestly, I, I received a DM a couple of weeks ago and some, some guy messaged me 
and I've had a lot of people message me about different ideas and stuff and I appreciate all of them, but I just like, it's, it's tough to fit this all in with my time schedule and the, the functionalities that I have here. But I mean, someone messaged me and said like, is there anything that I can buy that's related to the SIM? I, I, not, not exactly what he said, but roughly said like, is there anything I can purchase that's related to the SIM? And that's when I kind of directed him to what we have going with the Substack account and the subscription. So to think that this is kind of an idea I pulled out of thin air and now people are willing to spend money to gain more information about it. Like when I had the, the season three recruits list up on our, uh, on the premium subscription, the mm -hmm. number of subs that we had in with like an hour, it's, it's just kind of mind boggling that it's taken on that life of its own. But I mean, it's just really cool to see. And I, the other thing, like tapping into this type of excitement when there is nothing going on and people are inside, I just, that kind of played into my hands and I'm glad that I had this come to mind when it did. So, right. I mean, there, there's definitely a market for content about a universe that doesn't exist. Um, like we, we spend probably like 15 minutes every show talking about fake Georgia and Seton Hall programs and got coaches reaching out in the, the DMs and discord about like how much they enjoy it and want to hear more of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're starting to do that, that's, uh, that's definitely taking it in a direction. I think a lot of people would be interested in. And then of course gets more people to the site in general. Yeah. I, I, I mean, for sure. I, I wanted to mention that before the show ended was I appreciate you guys taking the time during, during your shows. And that's led me to listen to what you guys have to say not only on the sim side, but also college of basketball. So that's been really cool. Um, having people pump out written articles and talk about it on podcasts is pretty awesome. And especially like what you mentioned with the notifications and with the response rate, I mean, having, uh, we've had, I think a hundred people once filled out a form within like 37 minutes of it going live. Like that's just, that's absurd to me. Right. Um, and, and it's hilarious and nerdy and geeky and that's, and that's just fun. But, I think we're all just so hungry for college basketball right now that if we're talking about, you know, Jay George or B Fox's Georgia basketball team, like that's the best we can get right now, then that's what we'll take. Speaking of Jay, we've got a, we've got a big season coming up. I have a absolutely brutal non-conference schedule. I guess take us through the idea. Is it, was this to make it easier for you, the protected rivalries or like how, how did these come to be? And then how were they chosen? Cause obviously everyone has four for most teams. I think at least two or three are pretty obvious. And then you might have to stretch for a couple others, but how did that come to be? Yeah. So I, I heard you guys mention this on the most recent podcast and you brought up some really good questions, which is something that I considered myself. So with the way that this worked, I don't have, I don't have like a big 10 ACC challenge tight end. I don't have the STC big 12 challenge tight end. There's a variety of reasons for that. I guess the main one being is that to make it easier on myself, when you have 352 teams playing 28 games, it's just like this ridiculous Sudoku you have to figure out. Right. And it's a, it's a scheduled template roughly. So we'll have like the number 17 out of the ACC, they'll play this conference schedule. And then, Number 14 team out of the ACC, they'll play this conference schedule. Got it. So that's the main reason why there is no intra-conference uh, challenges. That's the main reason why all realignment is set up so it's in a trade fashion. So you don't have the SEC going from, say, 14 teams to 15 teams mm -hmm. because then the whole system is thrown off. 
for protected non-conference rivals, I had a lot of people ask me about this. Uh, I had some people ask me, like, why doesn't Providence play Rhode Island every season? Um, why I can't think of other examples. But you, just those kind of nearby non-conference games that most seasons feature. New Mexico, New Mexico State's one that I'm more familiar with. And I thought about it for a bit. And with the way that I set up non-conference the same way that I set up conference play initially. That's why the first season's schedule was set up before we even began. And I thought it'd be fun to bring in some of those games. So you have some of those regional games and some rivalry games tied in and you have a lot of, you have a lot of high quality games for power conference teams and even some of those mid-major teams that have long time rivalries. Um, the way that this was decided I went to Sports Reference and I found every team's most commonly played non-conference games, which I'm sure you guys probably pieced together at some point. And that's one of the main reasons why we have Seton Hall against Miami, which again, it's not, doesn't make a ton of geographical sense, but it would be, I mean, it would be next to impossible for me to think of like who were, you know, Fairleigh Dickinson's top four biggest rivalry games or something. Right. It's just like, I, I have to, take everything with kind of a grain of salt and make it the best as possible and starting with the prestige one team so you do have like duke versus kentucky kentucky indiana like those types of matchups and then the further you go down you kind of have to you know piece things together and see what you work with because at the end of the day if every team has to have four games then you're going to have you know coppin state probably playing different teams from different states and things like that. So that's the main reason it's set up the way it is. And even that in itself was, was ridiculous yeah. to figure out. I was not anticipating it to be that challenging, but um, I think most people can be pleased with at least one or two games on their schedule. I'm hoping so. I love it. I mean, it's the Fordham is awesome because they see, no, used to play Fordham all the time and it oh, hasn't okay. happened in mm -hmm. so long, but like I, I, I mentioned this on the last show, but, Denzel Washington was on Jimmy Fallon and he was at Fordham and he like mentioned the old Seton Hall gym because they used to play ball there all the time and then but obviously I love getting the Rutger game on the schedule every year that's that's hugely important we got it in the uh, round of 32 last year and yep excited excited for the uh, annual Garden State rivalry game that's yeah and you'll have the the Denzel invite there too so that's perfect bingo and like you're saying like you don't even have to task yourself with setting up a Big Ten ACC challenge because like, people are already starting to do those conference challenges on their own. Um, you know, B. Frank's been floating uh, Gavit games in uh, the fake world. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. We're going to be doing the, uh, the Big 12 SEC challenge next year, I think. Um, so that was, I think non-conference scheduling, like having the opportunity to schedule some of those ourselves is a, a pretty cool change art imitating life a little bit. Um, that and I noticed the betting lines, which the degenerate in me is, is very excited about. Um, that's that's going to be a, uh, an interesting change for, for season two. Um, is there anything else that, that you might be working on? Any, uh, I know you might be keeping some stuff close to the chest, but are there, uh, are there any, any changes we might see in uh, this season or the next? I think as for season two, I think I'm probably going to write it out with pretty similar to what we had for season one. Again, I'm more focused on making things just work easier for everyone. Cause I mean, sometimes I, I publish something and I download it and I'm just thinking like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, why is this formatted this way? Why does it take so long? 
-hmm. And if it's like that for me, I can't even begin what it's like for literally 351 other people. So my main focus is that I think as far as, as far as the games are set up, I like the way that season one played out. I thought uh, it's because I do a number of test sims just to make everything works, uh, just make sure everything works. And that was a pretty chalk type season, I, I would say. I think Michigan started number one and ended up winning it. Um, I've had seasons in the past where I think it was maybe Villanova would won every single game by double digits and lost in the second round of the tournament. So, like, there's a I lot of hate that. Yeah, <laughs> almost happened in real life too. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's there's a lot of fluctuation when it comes with that, and I like how there were some non-conference upsets. I think. I uh, want to say it was maybe Elon that – oh, you, North you, Florida, you're familiar maybe. with the non-conference <laughs> upsets. Yeah. I want to say you had like two of the top five or something. Yeah, I did. Like, and then I had like one of the biggest margins of victory too. So I was all over the road. But I, I like yeah. the the unexpectedness. I also like it, it – again, art imitating life. It's like Seton Hall is terrible in the early season conference tournaments. Like – we lost to a Long Beach, Long Beach State team that was sub-250 Ken Palm with a ridiculous roster a couple of years ago. They struggle with all sorts of teams in those early tournaments. So I was like, yeah, of course we lost to North Florida. Why wouldn't we? Like, this is, this yeah, is so yeah. spot on. This is on brand. So I, you have to have some sort of randomness. And yeah, just like, it, it's going to, some people are going to get pissed by it sometimes, but you just got to accept what's, what's coming. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and that's the main thing too. And I think most people recognize that heading into this that there are 352 teams, and it's not like firing up NCA 14 and you can turn Florida A&M into the next Alabama within two seasons. It's just mm -hmm. it's just not like that. It's just not the way the game is set up. Um, and so I, again, I like the randomness. It's not too crazy, uh, but we don't have you know power conference teams that are falling into the 300s nationally. So. I like the balance there. I think more of my focus heading forward is, I mean, once again, like improving this on your end. Uh, I really would like to get to the point where I can embed or make everything doable or, or functionable within the heat check site itself, because there's mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, bouncing around from an email to a spreadsheet to the website. And, and so having it all in one concentrated place would be really cool. I, I would enjoy that quite a bit, but as far as the game itself, the, the general build of the game, I think that's pretty set in stone. I was pleased with how it worked for the first season. I haven't seen anything too crazy pop up or, or anything um, like, like a hole that can be exploited and anything like that that's popped up. I'm surprised that – I mean, you guys, uh, of course, have your frustration with how the recruiting went. I hear you on that one. Uh, but, again, like you're competing with lots of, lots right. of other people, so I'll start with that. Um, but yeah, I think overall that that's where my focus is just making it, making it better for everyone else. But I think the, the game itself is pretty set in stone. That was a, that was a real pro move getting out ahead of it. Um, <laughs> but I was going to say the, the one bone I had to pick with you was, uh, yeah. you know, risking the postseason band going, going one on, on integrity. And, uh, I struck out on a lot of recruits, I'm not going to lie to you, um, which I'm sure a lot of people did, but. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I was, I was hopeful that it would be similar to real life if I was just throwing, you know, like 250K at each re recruit. Um, but obviously that's not the case. Yeah. So 
I mean, I hear you guys on that one. I think when we see that as a potential setting, I think a lot of people see that you can just select one and then just like bring in every five star. Right. And the thing with that is, I think the formula itself is set up that way, but you also have like, you might have 30 people in your region doing the same thing. And so when you have 30 people competing for one recruit, I mean, chances aren't, aren't necessarily great. So I, I mean, myself running Charlotte, I've, I'm playing this game to the best of my ability. I didn't land a recruit until the third recruiting period. And he was so bad that he got kicked off the team when I added one of the transfers. So like when people ask me how to play the game, like I'm telling them how it's set up, but to say that I've had any success or that I've even landed a three-star recruit, I, I can't even say that much. So, I mean, a lot of the frustrations that you guys have is, is what a lot of other people are having. Um, there is, I guess, a best course that you can take if you're trying to accomplish a certain thing. And I think understanding the strategy is really important. Like if you have five seniors on your team, how are you setting up your off-season budget? Are you trying to bring in a lot of guys? Or are you trying to develop your young players? And I think with, with the off-season budget, with that being the first form that you fill out in the season, I think that really decides the direction that you're trying to take. Um, because, I mean, again, if you have a ton of players that are leaving or say you only have one point guard and he's the worst player on your team, like how are you counteracting that? How are you planning for the following season? So um, maybe, like, maybe a bit of a non-answer for you guys, but I think the strategy is really important uh, because I think a lot of people are just seeing the top guy on the form offering him and just kind of moving on with it. And it's the game is a bit more complex than that and that it, it just won't really work. Non-answer is fine. It keeps the mystique a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need the secrets. We, we just are, are intrigued by it. I think um, I wouldn't even call it frustration. I think it's just like the challenges of it to, you know, to pretty up it's the a, wording. It's a tough game, yeah. And, and that's what, like, I think the challenge is the fun part. Like, if I could just go out there, throw one prestige out, and then just land eight five-star recruits or something, I don't think that'd be very enjoyable, not even for me, but for, like, everybody else, obviously. And then, you know, simple math tells you when 20 other people are on a guy, you've got a pretty yeah. slim chance to begin with. Um, but, yeah, I guess I was actually just looking. I was curious, why did you choose Charlotte? So, yeah, the main reason for that, I was out in Sporting News uh, in Charlotte for mm -hmm. an internship that started in August and wrapped in February. And I had a chance to go out and see Charlotte there in town a couple of times. And, and growing up in Seattle, I'd always gone to UW games. And, and so that's, I mean, it's not a huge atmosphere, but it is more of a power conference atmosphere. And, and being in Charlotte, it's not really a huge arena and it has more of that mid-major feel. And so that was kind of fun to enjoy. And, and while I was there, it was just kind of fun to think about. I mean, this is where my brain goes when I'm, when I'm following sports is just, like how fun would it be if I were the head coach of, of this school and right. in, in this arena? And it's just not something I'm, I'm used to being on the UW campus where you have these gigantic arenas and stadiums and it's even bigger elsewhere. But I mean, I pulled up to Charlotte first time I was on campus and I couldn't find the arena. Like it was just behind tucked behind this building. And that's, and that's kind of the appeal and the mystique of the mid-major life. And so that's why I decided to go out and, and do Charlotte because it's just kind of that, you know, mid-major, mid-major life and something that I was able to experience in real life. They have a sweet new court now too. I don't know if it's, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. They just unveiled it the other day. 
have to uh, have to hit my quota of one real basketball question. Um, I'm sure you could go on for for hours or days, but as as concise or as as long as you would like, what are what are your thoughts on Washington under Mike Hopkins? It's I mean it's 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 a complicated answer. I feel like I'm pleased with what he's done so far. I think I think the the fan base has his support. I think that he's done a lot of good things. What worries me is what happened this past season is a, a mirror almost of what happened in some of the years, latter years under Lorenzo Romar, where you have talented guys, you have future lottery picks, you have stars, and it just doesn't come together. And it's this really almost scary trend with Washington basketball where you have your best teams on paper are usually your worst teams just on the season. And so when you have guys like Mark Hill Fultz, Isaiah Stewart, um, I mean, Terrence Ross, like all these guys who were NBA or either going to be or were top NBA picks and combined to win like 20% of your conference games. I think that's really concerning. So I think long-term I, I, definitely have plenty of confidence in Hopkins in the UW program. I think there's a lot of good things that are going on in Washington athletics um, that, that makes it, that makes me feel comfortable about the direction of the program, but to have all of this hype to have, you know, Jade McDaniels, Isaiah Stewart, uh, Quade Green on campus and to just completely flop in the way that they did when they had Mark Hill Fultz. It's just, it, it, it has to rub anyone the wrong way. And so you're kind of back to square one and trying to build this thing back up. But I think long-term it'll be okay. Buddy, I, I know how you feel. You, you got a team with Romeo and Juwan Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> you need to start a support group. I'm there for you. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, last question for me. Um, put you on the spot. Seasons two, heat checks in. Who's your pick to win the Natty? You know, I'm probably going with Florida. I think that they, I mean, they brought in almost everyone on the recruiting trails. I'm, I'm buddies with Eric Fawcett, who runs uh, Florida Gators. He's a really good dude. Um, they've got a loaded team. And I don't, again, I've, I mean, I know the formulas as well. I mean, I am the person who knows the formulas. And I still right. don't quite understand how Florida brought in pretty much every recruit they offered. So I think they're in a good shape. I can tell you, you, you disagree. <laughs> no, I'm just. Being the SEC guy. Yeah, they got everybody I was going for, even yeah. even in the transfer market, too, just as a final fuck you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, I mean, Eric knows his shit. I, I read a lot of his stuff. Um, really smart guy. And, yeah, that's uh, – they're going to be tough to go against in the SEC. I'm not looking forward to that at Right all. to him, too. I think he was the first one that I saw on Twitter with the Nemhard to Gonzaga would be a perfect fit, even mm. even as we had we had talked about it, you know, being – the resident Zags guys, but yeah, he, he, I, I was reading some article about, I think Florida's offensive sets. And he was just like, if he were in Gonzaga's offense, he would thrive. And sure enough, here he goes. Yeah, He, he knows that stuff. Down to right. a T, so yeah, that's good. Eli, I really appreciate the time. This was a ton of fun. Uh, we'd love to have you back on when there is real basketball to talk about, um, but we will certainly settle for this in the meantime. You bet. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always, a, it's always a pleasure to meet new people and talk college basketball with you guys. We are back. It was great. Stuff is like, happening. <laughs> like, I, I went in with no expectation, and that's, 
ni- neither a slight to him or like anything like that, but he was very candid, very easy to talk to, I guess is a weird way to say it because like sometimes these interviews feel like you're pulling questions or answers out of people and him, you know, Eli was just so forthcoming with, with everything and happy to answer any of these questions. The site looks great. He's building a good staff over there and obviously we enjoy the game. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot to it. One of the, one of the more fun interviews we've done on the show, I think, um, off air, I had to ask him to make sure that my Georgia Bulldogs did not lose to Rutger, which was a very real possibility. Could have matched up in our early season uh, tournament in Orlando. So I did avoid that by losing in the semifinals to Detroit. So Way to get out ahead of it. Thanks. Um, they, they- Spin zone. Detroit had one of the top recruiting classes last year. Detroit was the highest rated team in the tournament. I will say that. But people are just going to see the school and assume the, the worst. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really, the, the, the bigger splits, um, I got my first taste of you know, some North Florida action, except it didn't count, fortunately. My... <laughs> My exhibition game was against the preseason seventh place team in the SWAC, Jackson State. I did not win. This uh, this happened after our interview with Eli, so I, I couldn't couldn't give him shit for it. But that was uh, that was upsetting. It, it did not it did not make me feel like I'm in a good place with my team this year. Yeah, it's uh, I would say it's worrisome. That's for sure. You and you know. You're a three-point favorite against Weber State coming up here, so that is uh, that is going to be a bit of a a sweated out type game. They have lines for the rest of non-conference. Not, I think just this upcoming week. Yeah, I need to look at that. You are a five three-point favorite against Weber State, five-point favorite at Wofford, and a two-point favorite at Mercer. I'm going to lose to Mercer. Mercer, I, they just – they beat somebody good. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get smoked at Mercer. I'm a 15-point favorite against uh, Louisiana, the Raging Cajun. Four-point favorite against Missouri State. And a one-point favorite against Chap Pambers and Penn State. Oh, that's – yeah. Missouri State's solid. And, I mean, your, your early season tournament was actually a prestigious one. Brutal. Basically, once you, I guess there is a tournament that happens in Orlando, but it's kind of getting close. Once you get close to the point of just made up tournaments, you know your team's not going to be very good. (laughs) You're playing in the Phil Knight um, opening game of the season against the at the time second ranked Virginia Cavaliers. Um, Just. Tough, tough all-around draw. Not, not a lot you can be frustrated about, I would, I would think. No, we covered the spread. I, you know, we lost by eight, 73-65. That's pretty good. Obviously, you'd like to see a little more out of the offense. My biggest concern, I mean, if, if I'm going to run through the rest of the, the tournament, so we lose that one, play Arizona, who lost to Kentucky in the first round, lose that one by 12, so we don't cover there. And then we play in-state Princeton, 
in the final round and win by six also don't cover. My biggest concern, though, is Jay George. Where is he? Top, a five-star recruit, top ten in the country, has not led the team once in scoring. We've played four games. To be fair, you only won – did you win your exhibition? Yeah. I don't remember what the score was. I, I should have kept that. I couldn't even tell you. Okay, so probably Jackson State adjacent. Um, yes, most it, likely. I have to say, at least in, in this in, – in the real games, he could have been balling out in the losses. You just never know. Um, if it, uh, I mean, the leading scorers in all these games were 18, 20, and 20. Maybe, maybe your boy's just chipping in 15 again. That's – now I'm worried because I think I'm going to land this point guard and Jay George is going to come back or transfer because I grabbed this other guy. Yeah, uh, I, could, I could use one. I'm probably striking out on recruiting. But if it's any consolation, I was going to say my top 30 recruit has not led me in scoring in any, any game either. So To add to it, Al Edney, who is one of the guys that was just placed on my team because I didn't have enough, who is a 4.4 4. 4 offensively, led my team in scoring against Princeton with 20. There you go. So You get hot off the bench. Right. Neither my 9.0 Jamal Lopez on offense or Jay George, who's an 8.1, have led my team in scoring yet. That's tough. It's That's concerning. Tough. It is concerning. There, there are some questions there, but as you mentioned, you are – I mean, yeah, now it's locked in, but you're, you're in the lead for one of your recruits. Um, we, we asked two, you actually. the changes he was – two of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. You said we asked Eli about some of the changes he was implementing this year. He, I, I assume, forgot, but not, not that he was withholding from us, but no mention of the crystal ball. And, oh, my God. Folks are going nuts. The Discord, the Discord has been blowing up. Yeah, uh, I guess people aren't totally aware that this is clearly who has the highest percentage chance to land him. But when, you know, I'm looking at the sheet right now, when Alfred Dotson, the shooting guard from Georgia, has 13 teams on him and Georgia Tech is in the lead, it's a sub-10% chance, most likely, as the leader. So the field has better odds to, to get him. But people here are treating it like gospel and like, oh, I'm not showing up on the crystal ball. So I'm just going to bail off. That said, it's, it's as good a guess as any. I would assume, I mean, I don't know how accurate this is going to be. We're going to have to, you know, check against I, it. But I hope, I hope like not set in stone. I, I was so excited. Dotson was one of my two targets. So you got to go for the, in-state guys right the tech part was cut off the first time through so oh, I got that's devastating nice. but like yeah it crystal ball and recruiting sites in general as we know largely a racket i'm hoping this is similar if it's a situation where you know it's it's set in stone and for a lot of these guys it happens pretty soon after the form is released and just kind of stays that way. At least the two guys I've been targeting, um, they've just been the same thing the entire time. That would, that would be disappointing. Um, you know, some, something around a, a 50% or less success rate would be super. Um, oh, really? 
I, I think so. I, I don't know. I was going to say closer to like 65. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Just, I, I, I don't like removing the entire mystery. Like if, if you're just going to do that right away, then whatever. Like I, I know we kind of did this and th- this is the one thing that's giving me pause and making me think that this will be just locked in across the board. Do you remember season one, Eli would tweet out, you know, he did for Jay George, he did for a couple other guys mm-hmm. um, and who is leading. And it, it was only maybe like three or four guys, but I think all of those who he tweeted out was who ended up getting him. Um, right. So just outright revolts over yeah. being teased like that. Um, but yeah, if we're going that way, I'm going to be disappointed because I will, I will have struck out once again on a, a recruiting cycle. Yeah. No longer makes it strategic. It makes it who can manipulate the form the most right. going towards it. I have breaking news though. I hope you just saw this, but no, he I've, checked Joe Lenardi said he would love to come on the show at any point. So we may have another heat check guest coming. Um, That said, I have the lead on the 16th recruit, Preston Fields, who is a center, which we will need as our center, Jamal Lopez, is graduating. And 78th ranked Tyree Patrick from Pennsylvania, three-star point guard because I am already taking the wild bet that Jay George is going to be a one and done. I mean, I, I think that's, that's kind of what you were assuming from the beginning, regardless. Um, well, especially after seeing the guys that left last year, having seen season one guys leave, there were a lot of guys that he is better than already that left, including guys on my team. So, yeah. Yeah, my Juco guy is probably going to leave. Now that I think. And, and my guy who declared last year but was projected undrafted, who's already led my team in scoring um, once, probably more in the losses too. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Get, get these bad thoughts out of my head. <laughs> it's too early in the season. It's – yeah, I – I, I don't I don't want to despair this early, um, but yes I am I'm not I'm not going to make the postseason that was that was set in stone once I lost to Jackson State in a fake game, <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly enough um, we we had a, a couple more the SEC has had a team banned from the postseason every year yeah. South Carolina this year who like didn't need to take that risk. I don't think like they were, you know, they, they weren't an NCAA lock by any stretch of the imagination, but they were going to be in the running for at least some postseason, regardless. Um, so that was an interesting wrinkle. DePaul saw that coming. <laughs> had to see it coming. <laughs> had to get one on the integrity there. Um, had to see it coming. They have struggled very much in the Big East. I mean, recruiting, playing, they they just haven't quite been there. I feel like. I don't know their coach. I, I think he's in the discord a little bit, but you got to imagine he's looking for an exit strategy to get out and get somebody else in. Um, and I don't know who it would be, but I'm intrigued to see. There, there's been a lot of talks with Big East uh, realignment so far. 
I don't know what's going to happen though. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, a lot of, a lot of folks want UConn in. Um, I am not one of them. That's yeah. I mean, it, because it would, it would likely come at the expense of, well, I don't know. I don't know if DePaul could even move over to, no, they probably can't. You'd have to be someone in the Northeast. Yeah. Geography. Cause I was going to say the, uh, like, you would you would be moving UConn in at the expense of someone worse. It's not going to be me, like St. John's, oh Providence, Villan- uh, Villanova's. U- UConn's consistently been a, a top twenty team, I think, the first couple of years. So there's really you know no need to make what is already a tough conference this year, even tougher for you. So there's my two prestige. I agree. But I don't know. We The only other positive note I really have is uh, I was in Joe Lenardi's initial preseason bracket as a uh, last saw, four in. I, so. did, I just saw the actual thing you were just talking about too, but I did – I saw the bracket and just – while you are you are almost playing Gonzaga in a first four game, which would have, would have been a lot. It would have been a lot to handle. There would have been a lot of uh, lot on the line for that game for sure. For this the show, good, the good news there is it was preseason, so you can uh, you guys can over the course of the season finagle a way to where you're both still in the first four, but now have to play each other. So, I mean, never say never. Um, I'm not ready for it. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you, you played Rutger. You're playing Rutger again. You can, you can handle it. I don't know what, where we're getting our quality wins from. I, I don't know if Miami is good this year. I have not scouted my opponents, but um, Penn Miami. State, Miami, Rutger. I mean, I have to beat you guys. If I lose to you, it's over. <laughs> Say, you did not want to say that school's name. I, I don't. Uh, I don't begrudge you, but the yeah, like Rutgers. Like if you if you can beat Rutgers, you can beat me. There, like we are pretty much the same team. Um, and now, really, I don't know if I'll ever play them. I think this year was as close as it gets. I am certainly Jeez. not going to go out of my way to schedule a non-conference. Missouri State is good. Oh, they – yeah, they beat me by, like, 20 last year. Jeez. Oh, man, we're going to lose to Missouri State. We went to the Sweet 16. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were solid. I was – yeah, I was – I didn't look at any of – I didn't scout any of the teams before the season last year. and was literally just assuming these guys are all only as good as the teams are in real life. And then I right. numbered literally first game against Missouri State. That was not the case. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was a tough scene for sure. But they're three and zero already. Vermont, Richmond, and Loyola, Maryland. All right. Well, that's that's all I got. That's that's. Yeah. That's that's fair. Um, so yeah, thanks. 
Thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Uh, the rest of our college football top 10. I'm sure more frustration on at least my end, potentially B Franks um, in virtual basketball world. But until then, stay safe and we'll see you next time.